0: that's amazing. Um, Before I get started, let's just have a time of prayer, if you don't mind. I would like to speak to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this evening and for this church and what you have done through this church, um, what you're doing in the midst of them. Um, Father, I pray for this evening, for our time together tonight, that you would be speaking to hearts tonight um, about how you desire to move in and to use people. Um, We praise you that you are the one doing the building, Jesus. Um, You are the one who causes um, the work of our hands to grow. Uh, Father, it's really and truly into your hands that we commit all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So good evening, church. It's such a joy for me to be here with you tonight. I am super grateful to have been invited. Um, When I saw the passage... Um, And I was getting ready for this evening, I just thought how providential it is, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that talks about Paul planted seeds and Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow. Um, It seems quite providential. This past year, we're living this literally, me and my family are living this passage out in quite a literal way, way right now. We were able to buy a house last summer. Uh, we moved in at the end of May, and so this year I'm getting to see things bloom that someone else planted. Um, in fact, in just the, the past month, the past week even, there have been patches of daffodils spread throughout our yard, half a dozen or more, that are blooming, and we had no idea they were there. We didn't have to do any work, but we get to enjoy some beautiful flowers, and we are very, very grateful. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. I think the idea of planting seeds and Watching them grow, seeing what God does in the process of the life cycle of plants has always been a very deeply spiritual thing to me. It's something God has used to teach me all all along the way. Um, and I don't think that's just a rainy February talking, um, but God has really truly used this idea of springtime and harvest and just the cycles of life that we go through that is shown to us every single year um, through our our landscape. We get to watch what God does every single year. Um, that's been a very deeply spiritual thing to me. Um, I, I probably started around the time that I had started having children. Maybe about ten years ago, I my firstborn was born, and I was remembering my own childhood. And I spent half of my childhood hanging upside down from a tree in our front yard. I'm pretty sure like half of my childhood was upside down. Anybody else? Yes, it was so good. And when I was having kids, I thought, man, I just want to have a good climbing tree for my kids to climb in. Well, by the time I had kids, it's too late. Like, you got to have some foresight to plant a tree. And So I was just realizing how much faith and vision and foresight it takes to do this thing of planting a tree. Um, The perfect tree, right, that has a low-hanging limb, but strong enough for somebody to hang on still. It's just got to be just the right one. Um, that kind of stuff takes some foresight. Every time I went to a park and it was nicely shaded by a tree, I just thought, man, somebody did not thinking, like a long time ago, <laughs> which is just so wonderful. Um, I think that's what I really want to be able to talk to you to, about tonight as we talk about planting seeds and growing disciples is, is this aspect of vision and faith that it requires in order to do that. Um, there's a boatload of faith that is required in the farming process, in any of this planting and sowing and watering process, um, all the way from the very, very beginning of planting a seed. Which You might say, well, that, that doesn't take much faith, Sarah. We did that in kindergarten. We watched it with our little butter bean, right? We put it in against the window, and we all saw what happened. It does not take much faith, we know, When you plant a seed, it grows something of its kind. It's just science. Um, But I want to back up a few steps, because before you can plant that seed, you have to actually set it aside for it to be planted. The whole aspect of setting aside seed is an act of faith. Where does seed come from? Anybody? God, yes. Fruit, yes. Other plants, always seed comes from last year's harvest. Seed comes from fruit, yes, from last year's harvest. Seed, to set aside a portion of what God has given you um, that you could use to feed your family, that you could use to sell at the market and make money, to set that aside and to say, no, I'm going to use this and sow it for something else. It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith to believe that the rest of the harvest that you brought in will be enough through the winter season. It's an act of faith that once you plant this seed, God will actually let it rain, and it won't just be wasted. It takes vision for the next year, for years out, to know that I need need food, not just this year, but the year after that, in order to set aside that seed to plant it, the whole aspect of farming, every step along the way, is perhaps one of the most faith-filled things I think we could possibly do. Um, when we plant seeds, there's obviously science behind it. I, I'm a scientist at heart. I love Um, Getting a little bit nerdy with my science, you can have the right pH of the soil, the right nutrients. There's lots you can do to prepare the soil and get it ready. Um, There are definitely best practices in farming so we can ensure we get a good crop. We can do the best we can. But there is definitely limits to what humans can do to make a crop grow, to make seed grow. You tend the soil, you give it water hope for the right balance of water and sunshine, but honestly, that you can't control. Um, you are trusting God for quite a bit of it in the farming process. Um, no matter how well you have tended the soil, no matter how, how by the book you have gone, no matter if you have memorized the Farmer's Almanac, if, if it does not rain, if there is, or if there's too much rain, There are so many ways you cannot make a seed grow. Um, Once you um, have set aside your seed, the second act of faith that you do with the seed is to bury it. Um, You choose not to consume it, and you put it in the ground where you can no longer see it. I want to ask you a question. I use the word bury your seed. What is the difference between burying and planting? When we bury something, we don't expect it to come up again. Planting is what we do with seeds. We plant with faith. It is going to come back up again. I plan to never be buried, but to be planted. With my seeds... I plant them, I put them in the ground, I cover them with dirt, wait for God to send the rain, or my husband, if it's an indoor plant, (laughs) and at that point, I have to just wait. I, I can't see it anymore, and this is actually kind of troublesome to me. I actually like being able to see what's going on. Uh, I think all of us do, this is a kind of faith, the the faith without sight that we don't really have a penchant for anymore. Um, We have created um, ultrasound so we can see the baby growing inside the mom, right? We have not only been, we've been not satisfied with these 2D blurry things, but we now have like 4D. You can see exactly who the baby resembles in the womb. All the fingers, fingernails, hair, eyebrows, everything, you can see it all. It's pretty amazing. We have created microscopes so we can see the tiniest particles. We don't really like not being able to see what is going on. We need to be able to see everything that's going on. Um, In this whole idea of planting the seed of the gospel in the lives of other people, we will not always see what's going on. There is going to have to be an aspect of faith of us planting the seed and not controlling what happens with it afterwards. This is the natural part of the disciple-making process, and I can assure you that if we aren't open-handed with that, if we are not planting the seed of the gospel and trusting God, as this passage says, to make it grow, but we must see it, we must control it, we must... It it isn't truly planted. It is not truly planted if it is still in your hands. At this point, we must plant it. It has to go out of our hands. We don't like that. This is an act of faith in God who makes it grow. This is um, this is what missions is like, isn't it? Um, we, if we're being honest, it takes it takes faith to set aside our seeds. Our our excess from the last year's harvest, if there is even is excess from last year's harvest, to set aside a portion of what is so very valuable to us and scatter it in ways that seem very counterintuitive, in ways that are not for building our own selves up. Um, in fact, this is actually what's at the crux of this passage. Um, in 1 Corinthians this, um, chapter 3, um, The Corinthian church is having a little bit of a scuffle. Some folks say, well, I follow Paul. I don't even know what they're fighting about, honestly. But some of them agree with Paul. Some agree with Apollos. And Paul's coming here and saying, like, guys, we did not sow the seed in you in order to build ourselves up. You're missing the point entirely. It is not about us. We have not built something for ourselves. In fact, in, in verse 9, he gives it away. He says, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. When they are planting the seeds, they are planting the seeds in God's field. You are God's building. What Paul and Apollos were pouring into when they were pouring seed and water into the Corinthians was something that was not to build themselves up, to build into what God was doing. God's kingdom is very, very different than ours, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Remember the parable in Mark um, where Jesus is talking about scattering seed. Uh, He describes the kingdom of God and says the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out and he spreads seed. Some of it falls on rocky ground, some of it falls in thorny ground, some of it is scorched up by the sun, and some of it falls on good ground. Um, this kind of sowing makes me a little bit crazy. This is not particularly efficient. This is not particularly strategic. I like for things to be strategic and efficient. Um, God isn't that way. God is generous. He throws seed out and scatters it in ways that just don't make sense to us. Um, he puts seed where it won't grow. Who puts seed in thorny, bratchy, briar places? Nobody puts seed there. Who puts seed on rocky ground? I mean, I'm not the best gardener, but I know a little bit. I put seed in the soil, in the in the in the dirt, and I let my husband water it. God puts seed where it makes no sense. Do you know why He's able to do this? Do you know why God is able to throw ski- seed out like this? in very haphazard ways, what appear to us to be very haphazard ways. Yes, he cares about the thorny soil. Yes, he cares about, um, about the rocky places. But even more than that, God is not worried about running out of seed. He is able to throw his seed anywhere he wants to, everywhere. He can just keep throwing. He is not concerned about running out of seed. He is able to be generous because he is not afraid of running out. We choose strategy and efficiency out of an understanding of our own limitations. So I ask you again, what does it take, what faith does it take to set aside seed? At TMS, I work for TMS Global, which is a mission-sending agency. Um, We are based out of the Atlanta area, not too terribly far away. Um, We have some friendly faces around here with TMS, um, which I'm really grateful for. Um, if TMS is looking to build ourselves up, um, if we're looking to scatter seed in efficient ways, um, we're not going to go to the hard places. We're not going to go to the places where there is rocky soil, where there is thorny patches. Places like Thailand, which is 99% Buddhist, or Indonesia, which is 99% is uh, Muslim, How will those places ever know about Jesus if we choose to be efficient, if we choose to only place our seed in soil that is good and ready for the gospel? Those places aren't ready for the gospel yet. Yet we must go. Yet we must throw our seed. We must be inefficient. We must be generous in our seed-throwing. For the sake of not building ourselves up. If we want to build ourselves up, if we want to do something very efficient and strategic and building us up, we do the good soil. I've always looked at that and thought, okay, great, like good, Jesus, you're right. We go for the good soil. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, be generous, throw your seed. I've got plenty. The seeds that you plant will not build up your church. It will be building up God's kingdom. I love what you're doing with Dinner Church. I've just been looking online and doing a little bit of reading. I love what you're doing there, church. What you're doing there won't build up First United Methodist, but you are building the kingdom. It is beautiful, it is beautiful. In this section where he talks about Paul is saying, I planted the seed. Apollos watered, but God caused it to grow, which is the basis of your your thing tonight. Um, There's a second step of faith I find here that is really interesting and significant, and that is that the guy who sowed the seed walked away, and somebody else came along and watered it. What kind of faith does it take to walk away from a seed that you planted? and trust that vision that you had in sowing that seed to someone else. It's a a real step of faith there. The second step of faith is the guy who came along behind that guy and watered it. So here he is pouring water on some dry ground. I heard that there's a seed here. (laughs) I'm gonna pour some water on it. He kinda looks a bit like Noah, who's building a boat in the middle of like a place where there's been no rain just pouring water on the ground. This kind of uh, image reminds me of a story from one of our workers who's in Thailand. Um, he teaches English in Bangkok and to young people, to youth there. And one day he was asked to help out with the English homework of a young fellow, a teenager, in, on his block. This guy needed to interview a native speaker in order for, to do his homework, to complete his homework. And so, our workers said, "Yeah, sure, I'll be glad to so in the process of doing that, he realized this kid's he's he's in way over his head he he can't complete this homework he's so far behind he he could hardly carry on the conversation. The interview didn't go very well um so he offered to tutor this little boy and his cousin um and he asked the parents the family you know can i can I tutor them? Can I help them out with this english they're they're a little bit behind?" And the parents were like, "Well, I mean, sure, but like I mean he's he's, he's kind of dumb like he he can't learn like you'll be wasting your time like if you want to waste your time, you can waste your time, but like he he can't learn um, This did not deter our worker. He is um stubborn in the best kinds of ways towards our people, and uh, so he invested in them. And he started working with them um, for months, uh, and they would actually work on the street corner uh, next to the the food cart that his family, this family, would run. So, um, our worker um, would work with these two cousins, and it was about two months he was working with them. And people would just feel free to stop by and tell him how he's wasting his time in front of the two boys, and tell him, "Why are you doing this? They'll never learn." And he just kept going, kept pushing on, um, not responding, but investing in the guys. And over the course of two months, the the boys started, things started to shift. They started understanding their homework. They started doing a little bit better in English. And not only were they doing a little bit better in their English, but they were also doing a lot better in their behavior. They were interacting well with, during the, the English study times, and they were also interacting better with one another. It was so much so that their parents started noticing and they were what's going on here like they're actually behaving even at home not just here with you you're fun but at home with us they're behaving better um and so even now um they have said that this time learning english and spending time with our workers not only are they learning english now but he um, takes a group of young people out to play frisbee Um, and they do a little Bible study while they're out there, and teaches them about Jesus. Um, And so they said that these two boys are now free to do English and to do the Frisbee playing instead of working at the food cart with their family, which is a huge sacrifice for the family to make to allow these young men to to grow under the tutoring of our worker. Um, And now they want to study English as often as possible, and whenever the family has... Problems in behavior, they come to our worker and they, they trust him and they've invited him in, which is really, really incredible. And I just, this to me looks like wa- pouring water on, on seeds you know is there, but nobody else can see it. You just look a little bit crazy pouring water on some, on some barren ground. Um, that, that kind of stuff takes faith. So, friends we're getting to what is I think one of the more exciting parts once you bury a seed you plant it and you water it what comes next in good biblical terms we have the harvest <laughs> and what do we need at the harvest we need all hands on deck we need all hands on deck at the harvest um, What kind of vision does it take? What kind of faith does it take for you, church, to raise up from within you workers for the harvest? What kind of vision, what kind of faith does it take to use your vacation to go on that trip to Costa Rica? What kind of vision and faith does it take to give up your Saturdays for your service Saturdays? Um, These are no small things. Um, God is... Asking you to set aside a little bit of seed. I bet earlier when I talked about seed and setting aside seed, all of you went to money, right? This is what we usually do. We set aside our money so we can use it for later. But I would challenge you, church, that you have so much more in this very room than your pocketbooks to give to the world. You have more than your pocketbooks to give to the city. God desires for your time For your stories to be used for his kingdom, that you would set aside portions of who you are. You make margin in your life and set aside parts of your life to be gifted into the the work of the harvest. Um, We've been talking quite a bit about faith. um, And I want to share with you a story that God has been using to teach me about faith. Um, sometimes when we talk about faith it feels like, oh, those are for the, the spiritual giants, the spiritually serious people. Um, if it requires faith to do that, I'm not sure it's for me. Um, and I want to share a little story with you. And It's actually from Acts um, chapter 12 that has been so very encouraging to me about what re- God is asking of us when it comes to faith. Y'all mind if I read it for you? Um, this is how it starts. It was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the, uh, the, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. You kind of have to, like, really live into that. That's like a nice little story, okay? So, like, guy was about to get killed. The angel saved him. But think through what's happening here. He is actually on death row. Herod intends to kill him the next day. He is Chained. Chained two two guards and he's sleeping. He is sleeping. I, I would not be sleeping the night before I thought I was going to die in that kind of way. I would be panicking. I would be worrying. I would be doing a lot of things, but I wouldn't be sleeping. But he is sleeping. He's sleeping so soundly. Did you catch that? The angel actually kicked him to wake him up. Can you imagine that? There's not very many stories in the Bible like that. Most of the time angels come we're all really scared. This guy's sleeping. Dead asleep. Angel has to kick him and says wake up. Get up. What this tells me about faith what kind of faith does it take to sleep the night before your execution? That's incredible to me. That is incredible. This feels like really, really big faith. And then there's a part where the angel says, put your clothes on, put your shoes on, we're going to go. And so he follows him out. Did you catch that at the very end? Um, He didn't realize what was happening until he got out of the city. And the angel disappeared, and he was like, whoa, wait a second. I'm not in the prison anymore. That was for real. I thought it was just a vision. He did not understand what was going on. He was just doing what he was told. Put your shoes on, put your cloak on, follow me. He was just doing what he was told. He didn't have this grand faith that God was going to save him. He did not know what was going on. He was pretty oblivious. He just took the next step that God asked him to take. My sweet friend and coworker Sonia passes um, here, and she'll be here this weekend. I hope you get to know her, um, and she can share you, with you a little bit about um, about that idea of just taking that next step when God asks you to do something in missions and what kind of faith it takes. Sonia served in Kenya for 12 years. Is that right? Um, but Sonia didn't wake up one day and hear God say, "I would like for you to go to Kenya." And Sonia, because she had so much faith, said, yes, Lord. That's actually not how it happened. That's actually not how it usually happens, by the way. (laughs) Usually it's something like, we would like for you to use your skills in this way. Sonia worked for um, a, a group that helped with AIDS prevention in the States. And so her pastor asked her, hey, we're going on this mission trip. Give us some advice sure. Why not? I can do that. And then her pastor said, well, why don't you just come on that trip? Oh, well, okay. Okay. I can do that. And then another trip, another trip, another trip. Just little acts of faith along the way. Um, And by the way, everything that God asks you to do, you have in your hands. You have the resources for in your hands. He asked Peter, pick up your shoes, put on your cloak. He already had those things. He didn't sell him to conjure up some shoes, miraculously get your cloak on. He had it. God didn't ask Sonia to go and do something that she didn't have already in her. She had the skills and took them with her. Just use what you got and follow me. What he will ask you to do are things that you can do. He is your God. He knows what you can do. He's not trying to make you feel small. He believes you are big and have everything that it takes. I want to read, um, there's one piece of this passage that can make it look like there's more faith in it than there is maybe. Um, And I I just want to bring that out. It says that there was a church that was earnestly praying for Peter. So we can look at that and say like, there it is. Peter didn't exactly have the faith. He didn't even know what was going on. He was kind of just sleepwalking really. Um, It's not exactly faith. It was that church that was praying. That's where the faith came from, right? I'm going to read a little bit more of the story so you can see what God's asking for us in faith. Um, When it dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. She kept insisting that it was him, and they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and he left for another place. This cracks me up just about as much as Peter needed an angel to kick him to wake up. Here is this church who is praying, staying up all night and praying for Peter. And yet when Peter knocks on the door, they're like, no, it's not him. So let me ask you, church, how much faith does it take? What is God asking of you? How much faith does it take? You have it in you. God has given you everything you need to walk in faith, to plant seeds, and to make disciples. I pray that this weekend will be your church celebrating what you have seen God grow. Um, I pray that this weekend is a time where you look and see what that next step of faith might be. How might he be asking you to put on your shoes and put on your cloak? How might he be asking you to use the things that you already have? I pray that God opens our eyes to see the answers to our prayers like the servant Rhoda. And he'll open our ears to hear his voice. And to follow, even if just in a barely awake stupor, that we will follow him and he will do miracles and make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the graciousness of who you are, that you know we are human, and um, that you choose to use us anyways, that you choose um, to take what is in our hands and just use it. Thank you that this is um, a way that you grow your kingdom. It is the way you grow your kingdom, and that um, we get to be a part of it. Father, use this weekend to build up your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.